Dental Safety Pro, brought to you by Vivid Learning Systems and the Health and Safety Institute. Episode number six. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer, and today I'm joined by Michelle, who's the Director of Environmental Safety and Security with Vista Outdoor. Thanks for being here, Michelle. Thanks for having me. So, Michelle, before we get into your story about how you accidentally got into this career like so many of us, I've been thinking this week um, about what it's like to be a safety professional outside of our jobs. Like, how do our family, our friends, the people that we associate with kind of view us? And um, the word I'm kind of settling on this week is nerd. And I I often get that from my own son who calls me like worst case scenario, mom, Uh, mom, you always think of the worst things that could happen. And then just, you know, with like friends in the community, they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't tell Jill that. Or what would she think about that? Or, hey, safety lady, could you look the other way? Um, (laughs) What's what's your experience outside of your work life with uh, people around you? Like, do you feel like you're a nerd sometimes, too? (laughs) Oh, totally. And like you said, my kids constantly are like, you're so overprotective. You're so worried about all this stuff happening. You know, we don't use a box cutter to open boxes at my house. You know, we've got the safety supplies. And so, yeah, totally a nerd. And and I'm fine with that. You know, um, the way that I look at it is if I'm at work keeping people safe and having them go home the right way, why wouldn't I want to bring that home to my family yeah. and make sure that we're doing everything the same exact way? Yeah. What's it what's it like um, with friends or even at parties? <laughs> Oh, there's times where, like you said, they'll be like, oh, don't let her see us do this. Or, um, uh-huh. you know, can you walk away for a second? We need to string this um, thing of Christmas lights up here. And, and we <laughs> we don't have the right ladder, but we're, we're going to get this done. So just, <laughs> just take a quick walk. Right. That happens. To, that happens to me, too. Uh, last week, someone told me, um, Jill, you have a way of like turning a really great story into some story about death in like five <laughs> seconds. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, you know, but but, you know, you've been in the job long enough. You've experienced enough things. You see enough things. And uh and and then it sort of just um, spills over into every aspect of your life. For sure. <laughs> so I guess we need to just wear that nerd moniker proudly, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I when? Totally will. <laughs> yeah. So when did you start getting into uh, workplace safety? Like, what was your journey like? When did it? When did it all start for you? You know, it didn't start for me until after I had graduated from college and and actually started working as a consultant. So Mm. I actually went to college for engineering, um, chemical engineering to be exact, Uh Um, did my four-year degree in chemical engineering, and then just decided that, you know what, I don't really like this, but I have my four-year degree, so I probably should figure out what I can do to build on it. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I I looked into environmental engineering, and I went Mm. and got my master's degree in environmental engineering. Mm-hmm. So my dream job was to design and build landfills around the United States. Wow. So I actually went and worked for a, a consulting company. And, um, you know, starting at the bottom, you got to learn the ropes of everything and, and started off doing, you know, phase one, phase two site assessments and, you know, some of the more the the grunt work at the consulting firm and didn't really get into any of the engineering stuff. Mm-hmm. But then kind of got a taste of compliance and going out to different facilities and doing compliance audits and looking at what they were doing. So that was my real first exposure to safety in the workplace in general. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I had taken some safety classes in college just, and I was aware what OSHA was and what their type mm -hmm. of regulations were, but never really had applied it until I was going out and, and telling companies, this is what you need to do to comply with these regulations. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a quick learn while I was out there. And I realized that this was my niche. This is what I really like to do was to make sure yeah, what do you think was what do you think it was that sort of turned in you that said I, I really want to focus on the safety piece when you were doing that? Did something happen, or was it just that you were really jiving on the regulatory thing? Well, it is the regulatory thing. Like I was that dork in college too. That for my electives, <laughs> I would take like environmental law while everyone else is taking you know softball, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> a lot of it was just being out there in the factories and talking to the people mm -hmm. and building those relationships and hearing the problems that they have out there and yeah. their ideas towards solutions and just being able to work with them and make things better. The big thing for me was being out in the factory with the people and listening to their stories and hearing where they have issues and problems and what their ideas are and building those relationships and, and just coming to develop the solutions to different problems out there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of stories were you hearing from people in, in those workplace settings? I've myself not been in many of them. I've been in some, but not, not very many in that particular environment. Yeah. You know, I, as a consultant, I was in, you know, numerous different areas. So I, I could be in a woodworking plant one day and then oh, the next sure. day I could be over, you know, in an automotive plant and then in a chemical plant. So it was a lot of different stories, but a lot of just ideas of how to make things better, like dealing with chemicals. Mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. if we did it this way, it would be better. Or dealing mm -hmm. with the equipment, like mm -hmm. this guard is really hard for us to work around. Yeah, it, it makes our job really difficult. What if we changed it to be more like this? Right. So just working with them one-on-one -on -one with stuff like that was very gratifying. And at the mm -hmm. end of the day, you go home and you're like, I helped somebody and yeah. I made things better. Yeah, right. Right. I thought you were talking about the landfill industry specifically, but I, I get what you're saying in all these different industries. I felt the same way, particularly with OSHA, you know, had the opportunity to be in 500 different work environments, you know, just in that phase of my career. And um, I would I would, you know, get in my car sometimes after an inspection and I would either feel so sad, like, man, I, those are harsh work environments or, um, knowing that I was going to be able to affect change somehow. And that, uh, you know, someone's, someone's story they had told me, just like you, I'd be able to make a change for their work environment for the better. And it is so gratifying. It is so gratifying. That's awesome. So how long did you do that? And when did you decide to take the next step? Um, so I was a consultant for hmm, probably four years right out mm -hmm. of college there, and then decided that, you know, I was going to all these facilities and I was giving them ideas of how to fix these problems, but I was never really part of the solution unless they wanted to pay me to be part of the solution. Right. So it was like, you know, I want to I wanna see this stuff from beginning to end now. I want to mm -hmm. go into industry so that I can identify the problems, come up with the solutions, and implement them to see how this actually works for people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so at that so point... When you were yeah, when you were doing that consulting job, was that like on your own? Were you trying to drum up your own business or were you working for a consulting company? I was working for a consulting company. 
Oh, thank goodness. Right. It's so hard yes. to drum, drum up your own work. Yes. For sure. Yeah. So then you decided to move on. Yep. So then I went and worked um, in industry for a metal workings company mm. um, where they, they had never really had a um, safety and environmental person specifically at their location. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much walked into nothing being developed. So it was like a clean slate for me to start and say, okay, this is how I think we should do this. Put these programs in place, train the people, get their buy-in on all these programs, mm-hmm. roll it out, and then I have this nice program. And, mm-hmm. and everyone's, you know, on board because they helped. You had been a consultant for a while, and then you moved into this next area with uh, in, in, the, in the metalworking industry. How long, how many years was it before you got into that job? Oh, I'd been a consultant for about four years and then okay. went into industry. Yeah, great. So did you, was that sort of overwhelming for you or was it more exciting at that time? Like they didn't have anything when you walked in the door and you were going to have to build it. Was that energizing or were you like, oh my gosh, where am I going to start? To me, it was very exciting because then I got to, you know, customize it to how I thought it was going to work best for the facility. Sure. And, you know, I get to put my stamp on everything and work with the people and build those relationships a lot easier than if there was already a system in place and I'm just trying to, you know, dredge it up and and keep it going. Right, right. So, yeah, it was great. I loved it. How long were you there? Um, I stayed there in that role. I think I only stayed two years because I actually got promoted into a regional supervisor for Mm -hmm. environmental and safety for that company. So then I had nine plants under me. Wow. In that part of Michigan. Yeah. So at that point, you know, they were impressed with my program. So they wanted me to take my programs and help these other nine facilities to right. get to where I was at. That was a, that's a big honor and a big undertaking. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. And and you had did you have other people working under you at that point when you got to that position? Each of the locations had their own environmental and safety person. So I was working with them on a day-to-day basis just to help them build their programs. Sure. Sure. They didn't was, directly report to me. Got you. Got you. But we worked together very closely. Yeah. That that's also sort of rare in our industry. You know, oftentimes people in safety are sort of an island and they don't mm-hmm. always have other other counterparts um, particularly in their same field. You know, maybe it's somebody else that has that as an additional job that you get to work with. Well, and that's pretty much how it was at all these other locations is that this was safety was a part-time job for them and then they were still doing quality or they were still doing maintenance or sure. you know they they wear very many hats and I mm-hmm. was the only actual full-time person doing just environmental mm-hmm. and safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so similar experiences to many people listening. So where did your journey take you uh, after that? So that was probably back in uh 2009 when the auto industry kind of hit rock bottom. Mm. Um and at that point um just in evaluating positions and stuff, my job was eliminated Hmm. and I had to figure out, okay, now what do I want to do? Yeah. Where do I want to go? What type of job do I want to work in? And at that point I decided I still wanted to stay in industry. I didn't want to go back to consulting. Mm -hmm. So I ended up uh, actually getting a job here in Minnesota at Federal Cartridge Company Mm -hmm. um, as a safety and environmental engineer there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and pretty much got to go through the ropes again of, you know, learning all the processes and Mm -hmm. how the programs apply there and getting to know the people and building those relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's just been a continual journey for me. 
Mm-hmm. And I stayed at federal um, in that capacity and actually have been working my way up through the ranks, um, became the safety supervisor. And mm-hmm. then just um, as of about just over a year ago now is when I became the director for the parent company. Wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> That's a big deal. So as you're um, building relationships at these subsequent jobs, how did you do it? You know, in terms of building relationships, and it's often, you know, in safety about building rapport, not only with the uh, with the people you're serving, but also your leadership. Is there a style that you've developed over time to do that? You know, to me, it's just, it's it's talking just frank with people, mm-hmm. telling them, you know, what your thoughts are, listening to what their thoughts are, and just being genuine. Yeah, You can't go out there and be the safety cop and just be, <laughs> you know, on them that you can't do this, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to work with them. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, they're out there to do a job and there are going to be hurdles and you need to have discussions and understandings about how we can compromise but still be meeting the regulatory requirements of things and keeping people safe. Right, right. I love that you said safety cop. It's a term that I've used as well. It's, you know, and for anyone listening, it's sort of the safety persona you really want to stay away from. <laughs> you know, because it doesn't, it, it you know, being someone who's either black or or white um, doesn't doesn't build consensus and it doesn't show that you're flexible to you know work in business gray which we're essentially challenged to do as safety professionals all the time yeah every day yeah when you do the the black and white people don't feel comfortable coming to you and bringing mm-hmm. you a problem mm-hmm. whereas if you'll sit and listen to them and work with them it, it makes it so much easier and they're they're comfortable doing that yeah right right and and so you moved from industry to industry are you finding that you know when you're trying to understand just the hazards of the industry that they're essentially similar or very different every time you walk into a new door I would say the struggles that each industry has are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they all struggle with, I would say, the same programs. And I think it's just because they're not black and white at all. It's it's kind of left up to the discretion yeah. of the employees and the employer of how are we going to make this work for our company. Right. It's a little more difficult. So like take ergonomics, for example. Ergonomics is, it's not this is what you have to do. It's how can you design this to make it better? Mm-hmm. Where a lockout tagout procedure is very specific. Right. These are the steps that you take, and this is how you keep your people safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's the focus is more on these programs that aren't so black and white that we need to to work through. Right. And that's where I see the struggles at most industries. Right. And so do you, um, which, which of those sort of things do you prefer tackling? Like what's your favorite? Is it sort of the, the ones that you have to figure out how's it going to work here or the black and white ones? I am always up for a good challenge. So (laughs) I always like the ones that we have no idea how we're going to do this. Uh Where do we start? And make it work. Yes. Yeah, right. That's cool. So I'm I'm wondering where do you go for help? You know, like when you're st- when you're stuck professionally, where do you what are your resources for reaching out? We are members of, uh, you know, a couple of different groups uh where there's other technical people that we can reach out to and then also I've built my own personal network of mm-hmm. other safety people in different industries that I've mm-hmm. met throughout the years. So if I have a question, I can just contact one of them and, and bounce an idea off of them and, and get some feedback. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do the same. I do the same. I sent a text message yesterday to a safety professional friend of mine that I've known for 20 years. I'm like, I'm reading the law. I'm interpreting it this way. Is this how you would see it? You know, it's just a way to bounce things off of uh, of one another. And the great news is that we like to help each other in this profession. <laughs> oh, yeah. You learn so much just by talking through different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, so, Michelle, it sounds like it sounds like you um, really take joy in uh, challenging yourself. And I'm I'm noticing that uh, maybe that next challenge is reaching your certified safety professional or your CSP. I see that you have your ASP now. Tell tell people about what that pursuit has been like. Why did you decide to do it? And uh, what's the time commitment been like for you? Well, you know, I'd been thinking about doing this for years and I just never actually stopped and did it. So mm-hmm. back when I was working in industry the first time, I was going to, you know, attempt to get my CSP at that point. But there was just so much going on and I just didn't feel like I had the, the time to devote to it that I needed to. And I needed just a little more experience. Mm-hmm. So recently I decided, okay, I've been working now for 15 years. It's time. This is crazy. <laughs> you need to just set a goal to get it done and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much what I did last year with um, getting my ASP first. And those tests are no joke. And the studying right. is no joke. I, I spent numerous hours just going through books and doing sample tests and questions and mm-hmm. Just making sure that, you know, I could understand everything and and answer the questions as best I could to pass the exam. Mm -hmm. So um, I did take the ASP and and pass that one. I was very nervous. Yay, congratulations. (laughs) Did you take a prep class to do that as well? I did not. Mm Mm-hmm. I had thought about it and, you know, I thought back to college and stuff and I was never really good at going to class and listening. Mm-hmm. learning I was better with give me a book and leave me alone right right so that's that's kind of the approach that I did take with this one mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. ASP the sure. CSP now I've been looking over some of the materials already and I plan to take the CSP exam within the next year wow this one looks daunting right <laughs> it's gonna be a lot more studying for sure but I find that I just I just have to set that date and and sit down and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good luck to you. Good Thank luck you. to you. To to that end, with regard to safety and health, in particular, because you have this environmental background as well. Do you think you're more of a generalist or a specialist? You know, like do you do you feel like you're specialized in certain areas, or kind of more of a generalist across the health and safety spectrum? Um, I would say pretty generalist, except for the area area of explosive safety. So that was one area that I really focused in at Federal when I was working there. And that one is pretty specialized and yeah. has a whole lot of nuances and, and differences to it. So I would say I, I did specialize in that explosives area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say the same about myself. You know, I've, I've sometimes over the years have beaten myself up for not going very deep in some subjects. And then I just decided, you know what? This is such a broad professional practice. It's it's nearly impossible to specialize unless you're in the same place for, you know, many, many years. Um, and it's sort of important to know a lot of general things and then take that deep dive when you need to. Like with regard to explosives, I, I did the same thing with... Um, 
uh, chemotherapy drugs. I was working in a healthcare setting for a while and uh, compounding medications and the people that did the compounding, I didn't know anything about that. And I needed to teach myself quickly um, what the hazards and risks were with that as well. Um, how did you how did you teach yourself about explosives? How did what was your approach? You pull out the regulations and you start learning. And then <laughs> you talk to people that have worked with the explosives for years and you find yeah. out, you know, how do you keep yourself safe? What are, what are the lessons that have been learned in the past? Mm -hmm. That was the best way. Yeah, that's tricky. And that's not one you can, uh, there's not a lot of margin for error when you're dealing with explosives. No, no, there is not. <laughs> so with, with regard to that, what keeps you up at night with, uh, with your, with your practice or your job now even? Oh, for me, it's, it's feeling like I never got enough done. Like I yeah. could always be doing more. Yeah. I would say that that's the one thing that I just, I want everything Perfect. And I want everybody safe and I want mm -hmm. there to be no more accidents and no more mm -hmm. injuries. And I know I can't, we'll never get to that state because mm -hmm. it's an accident. I mean, it's going to happen, yeah. but I just wish how oh, I yeah. wish. Yeah. We, you never do feel like you're finished with this job. I, yes. I completely agree. Completely agree with that. Can you describe your best and worst day in safety and maybe what happened? Well, I guess I would say one of the best days that I, I've had in the, in safety would have to be back when I was working in the automotive industry in Michigan, working with a stamping plant that had gone numerous years without a recordable injury and had developed their programs to the point where they were able to achieve the um, VPP award in Michigan. Wow. Yes. For stamping, that's huge. It is. It mm -hmm. totally is. And just <laughs> to achieve great. that and, you know, to be able to get through the inspections and stuff and pass with flying colors and have everyone at that facility so on board and so engaged in mm -hmm. the process, to me, that was probably the best safety experience ever. That, that, just, that just sounds like professional fun all the way around. <laughs> that's really cool. So you, you've got that as well. Well, look at you. You're, uh, you're making, you're making yourself famous in, in <laughs> safety. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. How about, how about worst day? What does a work, worst day look like or what was or has been? You know, thinking back to a wor the worst day, it, it always has to do with, with somebody not being able to go home at the end of the day. Yeah. So I can think back to um, when there was uh, an incident down at one of the army ammunition plants where mm -hmm. they were dealing with explosives and somebody lost their lives. Mm -hmm. Even though I wasn't directly working for that facility, mm -hmm. knowing that our, our processes are similar and the chance of it happening at your own facility is, is you know, right there. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. hard. Yeah. Agreed. I think those were, um, have been and continue to be my hardest days at work too. Uh, of course it was part of my every day when I was with OSHA was to investigate death and I did it often. And, um, and, and, and today it continues that employers will reach out to me because they know about my background and they'll want help, you know, walking through what to do, you know, like, what do I do from, how do I contact OSHA? Do I contact OSHA? What's going to happen? How do I do this? And, um, and you know, they, the, just the technical part of those sort of incidents is, you know, I, I'm happy to coach people on that. Um, but moreover, it's really talking with people and meeting them where they are emotionally, you know, and how do we support our company? How do we support other companies emotionally when, um, when that happens? Uh, to us. Yeah, that's, that's hard stuff. All right. So Michelle, one of the 
One of the things that I've developed, I guess, in this profession, I'm wondering how you approach it as well, is writing. When it comes to writing about safety, whether it's whether it's like setting a set a safety program or policy aside, not that kind of writing, but when you need to make an appeal, maybe to management and you need to write something, how have you like approached that through your career and has it changed? I would say, yeah, it's changed just with experience. You know, in, in, in the beginning, you go to the management team with all this technical information to explain to them why. Why do we have to do this and what will it mean for the company? And you dig in so deep and mm-hmm. it goes right over their heads like, all right, that's just too much. So now now when I have to, to approach something like that, it's it's much more simplistic. It's, okay, how is this affecting the company without all the technical information? Mm-hmm. So what? Just what's the bottom line for the company here? Mm-hmm. How will this change make things better? Yeah, and what yeah. does it just mean for the company overall? Right. And so, what sort of data do you usually share for something like that? And and where do you where do you get the data? I think people listening, you know, as we're trying to, particularly when so many of us don't have budgets and safety. Um, and you're trying to make that appeal for change, and often that requires monetary funding. Like, what sort of evidence do you use and gather? It's always hard because, you know, you want to go back and say, okay, we've had these safety incidents and, and this is what they've cost us. So going forward, we want to make sure to eliminate that and it's going to save the company money. But you can't mm-hmm. really put the price tag on an injury because everything is so different. Right. Depending on the type of injury that it is. And we don't plan for those costs every year because we don't know what's going to happen. So it's it's hard to tie it to that. Right. You want to look at your recordable rate and, you know, say we're going to be able to decrease our recordable rate if we do this. Well, we don't mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm, so it's, right? it's hard to say that as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's a challenge. It really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Proving ROI is pretty difficult on the front end. It's easier to show it after. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so do you prefer when you're having to go to the well to either ask for money or ask for permission? Um, do you find yourself doing it in writing more often or do you like to get um, face to face with whoever the decision maker is, whoever the gatekeeper might be in your facility? I find it more effective to get face to face rather than a written. Yeah, I think I think just having that discussion with them and for them to see the passion that comes from you doing your job and enjoying your job and wanting to make things better for people, I think that really makes a difference. Right. Versus just getting, you know, this, this written proposal on this is what I want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how have you, how have you worked over your career to get access to that power? Has that been, has that been difficult or how have you built those relationships to be able to either request a meeting or walk in someone's office? No, I've never really had a hard time with that. Mm hmm. I think because I try to build the relationships with everybody right off the bat. I don't, it doesn't matter to me if you're working on the floor or if, you know, you're the vice president of the company, Mm -hmm. I still try to build those relationships with everybody and and keep everything genuine so they know where I stand on issues Mm -hmm. and and how I want to make improvements. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And to do that, to do that right away and not waiting to till something is going on where you need to ask for help or permission and then go, oh, darn, I don't have a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You always got to be proactive with right. everything. I mean, it's yeah. not just relationships. It's 
the problems and the solutions. Yeah. Michelle, what's your opinion of safety committees and do you do you have one now? I think they can be good and they can be bad. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I'm I'm concerned that safety committees are just checking the box mm-hmm. in certain companies. They're not used for what the actual purpose is. It's more we said we were going to do this, so let's just check the box, yeah. get it done and move on. Whereas other companies can take it and use it for its intended purpose. So it's not, when I hear the word committee, it, to me, it's, it's more of a, this is what you need to do. This Uh is the check the box exercise. Uh So to me, it's more of a safety team that comes Mm -hmm. together and just everybody gets their ideas out there and works together. So to me, that's where you start building that culture that you really need within an organization Mm -hmm. is when everybody is comfortable just coming together and working. So by just singling certain people out, I'm not sure that that's effective. Yeah, right. And so what do you think, what's your opinion of what you think a high functioning safety team, as you put it, um, what do you think that looks like? Or what do they do for people who maybe are either struggling with the committee or team they have now or thinking, do I need this? Like, what would I have them do? Well, it it really all goes back to that culture. And you know, the the people that are involved knowing and understanding why this is important, mm-hmm. and wanting to make the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of what kind of tasks um, does your safety team do? Like, what do you work on? It's hard to say because we don't have a designated safety team. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Exactly. Because we're trying to get everyone encompassed into safety. Got it. Not Got just it. the safety people. Right. 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 Understood. Understood. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about my experience with safety committees or safety teams. I kind of like that term better, safety team. And, you know, I wanted representatives from each of a location once where I was working um, so that everybody had, you know, I had somebody that we could go to with safety. And I thought I had these grandiose ideas like we we're going to get all of our safety programs written and we were going to, you know, sort of distribute that workload among this team and we get all that stuff done. And it just really fell flat because they didn't have the, you know, like the background or talent to do that kind of thing. But then when I gave them tasks, like we need the fire extinguishers inspected, we need the eyewash stations inspected, you know, we need to do an audit to look for all of, you know, X, Y, and Z sort of hazard. They were all over it and did a great job with that. And, um, you know, identifying hazards and risks where they worked and that was effective. And I I know that people use these sort of teams for all different sorts of things. And I was just wondering, you know, how, how you've seen it operate uh, where you've been over the years. Yeah. And different places will do it different ways. And, you know, it's, it's been beneficial in some places doing it one way and not so beneficial in others. Yeah. Um, To me, like I said, the biggest thing is, is safety is everybody's job. Mm-hmm. And people have to know and understand that. Mm-hmm. And if they want to work someplace safe and have things safe around them, they have to be part of that. They have to be looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. So when you run into safety cliches, you know, such as we've been doing it this way for 30 years uh-huh. and nothing happened, <laughs> nothing Love happened, that one. right? <laughs> um, what do you, what do you, what do you do? What, what advice do you have for people of how do you buck up against those safety cliches when they're meeting you in the face? It's hard. It's really hard. A lot of it, uh, I hate to keep saying this, but it goes back to that relationship. So when people mm-hmm. start telling you that, you know, you've got to be able to, to call them out on it and say, you know, well, horse and buggy work too, but we yeah, eventually right? got cars. 
Why would we want to make that change, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, it, and it's more of the, okay, I understand that we've been doing it that way and it's been working fine, but can we try it this way just to see if maybe it makes it easier? Yeah, right. Or makes a difference. So it's it's kind of the trying to get them to work with you and understand it and not mandating. Mm-hmm. You have to make this change because mm-hmm. I said so. Mm-hmm. Right. Not being the safety cop. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of horse and buggy days, <laughs> how has uh, how has uh, technology entered into your professional practice over the years? And what are you seeing that's like that's good about technology that's helpful to our our work right now? Technology has come in in so many different places. Um, you can look at it from the administrative side where, you know, it's easier to identify the hazards and get the information out there to supervisors or anyone to, to get hazards fixed just through mm-hmm. email and different systems of notification. Mm-hmm. The technology that's been developed for different types of equipment um, when you're looking at guarding and light curtains mm-hmm. and different types of uh, interlocks that are placed on equipment to keep people safe, to shut down the machines if doors are open. Mm-hmm. I mean, those have been great advancements in technology when it comes to the safety world. Yeah, you certainly learned a lot about that in that stamping company you were with. <laughs> <laughs> and those are complex solutions, too. <laughs> so um, what do you think, what about technology that's missing from our profession right now? Do you think there's something that um, you wish that you had to maybe level the playing field compared to other counterparts in other parts of organizations, you know, whether it's um, solutions that operations has that you wish you had or HR or accounting or, um, you know, purchasing stuff like that. Do you think there's technology improvements to be made for our practice? There's definitely advances that, that can be made to come up with anything specific off the top of my head. I don't think I could, if I could, I could make a lot of money. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I guess I was just thinking about, um, you know, some, some other departments across industries have access to a lot of data that they can use to analyze the way that they're doing their work or, um, even, you know, purchasing programs or HRIS systems that are tracking uh, things about employees and, and safety professionals don't always have that. You know, sometimes we're sort of cobbling things together. (laughs) Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. And just being able to have everything electronic makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. Um, rather than having to, you know, shuffle through all these paper systems to try Mm -hmm. to find this information and pull it together. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely, you know, management systems in environmental health and safety to me are extremely important. And I know a lot of companies haven't made that transition yet to those electronic systems. Yeah. Um, One of my locations right now is in, in the process of doing that and to see the benefits that are going to come out of that is just amazing. Right. Why do you think that's so slow with our with our professional practice compared to, to compared to other, you know, departments and industry? I think because of it not affecting the bottom line as much. Mm. I mean, it doesn't help us get products out the door. Right. As quickly. Yeah. Well, as we talked about before, the return on investment for, you know, safety improvements isn't always as easy to identify as it is for things in other areas, such as quality or some of the purchasing stuff. Mm -hmm. So to get facilities to move and spend this money on these management systems is sometimes difficult. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awesome if we could all have that in, in our safety lives to be able to sort of just level that playing field um, compared to other departments, you know, so when we come to the table, we're, we have equal information (laughs) compared to our counterparts. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, technology advancements, we talked about that. I'm wondering if we're if we're going in the Wayback Machine in a different direction. Is there a part of your life growing up that you think maybe set you up for a career or a want to help people or in safety? Was was safety or some aspect of it part of your part of your life growing up? Depend, you know, maybe based on your family's occupations or kind of um, what you learned from them in your formative years. So my dad was a cop the entire mm. while I was growing up, and you know, I got to see the different things that he dealt with as a police officer and helping mm. people and doing investigations and figuring out accidents and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So I think that may have led to it because I was always extremely interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had actually taken criminal justice classes while I was in high school, thinking that maybe that was an avenue I wanted to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, but then ultimately decided to go with engineering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you you certainly had a role model when you were growing up on someone who whose job was uh, you know legal and kind of winding through what how do you apply these legal aspects um, to work yeah. and and I bet I bet he brought home some stories about the. Uh, about the human impact too. Oh, without a doubt. Yep. It's funny mm-hmm. because even my brother has ended up in, he's a, he's a paramedic. So mm-hmm. he's kind of, you know, taking that same focus as well. Yeah. My brother's a paramedic too. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, our dad growing up um, wasn't in a safety profession, but his life was greatly impacted by an accident. Uh-huh. And I off and I often think that like is that what made me into this way before I was born? Um, my my father was in a in in a farm accident and he had a traumatic brain injury and uh, part of his skull, believe it or not, was um, was missing. Like there was like a silver dollar size hole in his frontal bone. That wow. couldn't that couldn't be closed, and it was only closed by a flap of skin. I know if anybody's sort of like grimacing right now, apologize for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so when I was a kid, everything was about my dad's head and protecting his head, like you know the cabinet above the refrigerator where maybe you stuff the cereal boxes and you're kind of gonna push them shut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, you didn't do that in my house because if the cabinet popped open and hit Dad in the head, it was curtains, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I it it took me years to think about was that impactful on how I chose what I did, or that I just sort of easily slid into it because I was wired to look for hazards since I was a kid. Yeah, for sure. You know, isn't that weird? And then my brother becomes a paramedic. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, maybe there's something to, uh, we learned things from our parents, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We want to believe that we we did and we do. I certainly know that that I did. So whether or not that shifted um, my reality and career choice, I guess I'll never, I'll never know for (laughs) sure. (laughs) But interesting that your dad was a cop and, and you certainly don't want to be the safety cop. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So what do you think about, about the future of our occupation, you know, safety in the 21st century, where, where do you see us going or um, what do you wish for, for us? Well, it's definitely always going to be a need in all industries. So it's definitely to me, 
unnecessary evil of doing this job and working with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you would you encourage um, young people just starting out or maybe they're trying to decide what they want to do to get into it? I would. I definitely would encourage young people to do this. You learn so much about so many different things. Even if you learn it at work, the way that you'll take it and you'll use it in other parts of your life is it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's whether it's raising your own kids or being active in your community, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. I would I would agree with that. So you started out uh, thinking you were going to work in landfills <laughs> and uh, and you're and you're taking a deep dive some days in explosives, you know, who would have thought, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what a what a great what a great career and an unexpected one for you as well. So I I think uh, Michelle, I'd like to end end our time here uh together and I really want to thank you for for the time that you took with us today and uh, Appreciate your insights, and hopefully, other safety professionals listening um, picked up some picked up some advice from you today. Perfect. So, thank you all so much for joining in and listening today, and thank you for the work that you all do to make sure that your workers go home safe at the end of every day. You can listen to all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including maybe it's yourself, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.